Welcome listeners to Dark Dides, a weekly improvised audio drama series. Paranormal actual play, that's what I've been calling it. Uh, <laughs> Got it. back into old habits. I'm your host, show creator and narrator, Aubrey Lydon. Uh, with me as is my cursed fate is Chester and BJ, our cast. How are we going, guys? Good. You tired of oh, the horror know. yet? Starting to get over over the seriousness. No jokes. Chester's just staring I glumly mean, at the table. <laughs> no, nothing. It's all gone. That's all. that's the that's the sign of a man who's been making a horror podcast for too long. This whole what is it now? Four episodes. Whew. Man. Yeah, but it's been it's been a few weeks. Of it's been our about lives. a good month or more of our lives. If you count all the planning, it's been a lot more than that. What are you two talking uh, anyway, about? I don't hi. understand. Am I losing my mind? Uh, I think I it, might it's be losing. I... It's called Dark yeah, Tides. Early, it's a podcast. I've been up since five, okay? I, I don't care. I don't know who I am. Did you Did you say you were like driving somewhere? Yeah, I drove was that to today? Sydney and drove back before oh, lunch. That, yeah, I that's hired right. Chester to deliver. Yeah, and I mean just like me. the outskirts of Sydney. I went over the Harbour Bridge like four times, and that was just leaving because my GPS kept messing up. Oh, man, I've done that, and it's just, it's not fun. As soon as you it, see the bridge in the distance, you're like, oh, man, what have I done? And what was scary, uh, sorry, this is a bit off topic, but what was scary was the fact that my good, my phone, I'm driving there, like, I'm on the highway, and I'm, like, trying to check on my phone, like, for the map, and it's just, you know, constantly loading. And I'm like, what's going on? And then I realised that my phone plan hadn't renewed, and because of that, I didn't have any data. And I was 20 minutes from home, and so I didn't have time to go back. So I had to work out a oh, way no. to use... So we had, like, a moderately new ute. Uh, but because of, About like, just being filled old. with sawdust and stuff, the whole, like, touchscreen stuff has just gone completely haywire in the past year or so. And so uh, it's a pain to get anything to work on that thing. Mm. But I got it to work. Wow. <laughs> But yeah, anyway. That is incredible. My name is Chester Lynn, and I play Ernest Marsh and Heath O'Sullivan in this crazy world out here. There you go. Uh, hi, my name's BJ. Uh, I have had a much more relaxing morning than poor Chester. Uh, I play... Uh, 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 <laughs> apparently it hasn't done me any good. I play Alistair Stern and Randy Last Name. Uh, here's a bit of a fun, a fun fact. Well, it's not really a fun fact, but... Uh, Many, many years ago when Chester and I were making uh, a short comedy skit uh, and we created the Randy character for that skit. Uh, if you can hunt it down on our YouTube channel, good job. Uh, but we, we were coming up with this idea of this really bad police character and, I don't know, we, what, spent probably 15 minutes planning that before we shot it or something? Like... It was, yeah, it was very rushed. Um, and so we needed a name. And so I picked a, uh, there was a TV show that I was watching at the time uh, with a character called Randy. So I tell you what, here's a challenge for all you listeners out there. If anyone can figure out what the TV show is that has an officer, Randy, that's very bad at his, well, he's not bad at his job. He's just very scatterbrained like real Randy. Uh, if you can figure out that and and the last name of the char- of the Randy character in that show, then maybe that can be Randy's canonical last name. 
uh, but we'll we'll leave it as a as a mystery for now. <laughs> As the sun creeps over the mountain ridge, uh, the grey light of dawn filters down on the town of Slate Ridge. The entire population of the town is huddled inside the library, many of them sleeping on blankets, scrounged pillows. A few have uh, the good fortune to have sleeping bags or coats that they can bunker down in. As they sleep, the tier operatives stand guard at doors and windows, watching into the empty streets as a light fog filters through the town. Inside, the former printing room turned war room meeting office slash municipal space, uh, we find our cast of Ernest, Alistair, Heath, Puck, Sherman, Ant, and the battered, bruised, but not too worse for wear, Randy. But still smiling. Uh, you are poring over a map of the town and the surrounding area, strategizing. Heath starts to walk around the table, looking at each of the member, each of the members gathered around, and he begins. Well, our priority for the morning is the civilians. From the picture that Randy here, and he gestures at him, has painted for us, we are dealing with a, a very great force. And after last night, they'll be coming ass in full force. So, we need to move them out. Agreed. Uh, Heath, do we have backup from the police department to get extra vehicles in were you able to secure that uh heath rolls his shoulders and comes back around to his side of the table we've made contact and plans are being laid but first we need to deal with uh, the situation we have now so puck what time is it, it is approximately six twenty a.m okay there's six forty-five. We get them up. We give them breakfast in groups of 25. Okay, we, we dig into our own rations. We need to show them that we are on their side. I'll address them all in the morning to placate any concerns. I won't have time to speak to them on an individual level. Puck, you've built up a reform of them, so you'll address them in that way, and I'll leave you to handle them on a more personal level. So Alistair, and he turns to you. As each group of 25 finishes their breakfast, you and the team of your picking will interview them. I want to know full name, address, date of birth, if they are citizens here or outsiders, and they need to be vouched for by other citizens if they claim to be. Okay, I can do that. I need to know we aren't shipping any Wendigos out with the rest of my civilians. I want a list of those outsiders on my desk by 7am. Copy that. So Alistair, I'm going to leave you in charge of coordinating all of that, working with the police, and 
I'll leave all the final details of that to your discretion. Okay. Uh, do we have a time, an approximate time for when they're going to approach? The police can realistically show up whenever they're about an hour out, but they're going to operate more as ability to help us convoy. They're not going to be involved in any form of our working with these people and finding information. They will simply be there to give us firearm support and backup. They are moderately aware of the events going on, but I'm not bringing them any more into this than they need to be. They will not be prepared for this. So they are going to be involved enough to help us move people out. That's all. Here's then going to uh, turn to, to Darnell. Says, Darnell, you, Ernest, and Ernest, if you're willing, your watchman, I would very much like you guys on reconnaissance. You'll be our watchman. If anything moves in a kilometre perimeter of the town, Puck, Alistair, myself, and all team leaders need to hear about it immediately. Ernest, I leave your team to your discretion. The next is the fact that we are operating at a great disadvantage. We don't know their numbers. We don't know their organization. From things Randy apparently heard, they're trying to form some form of leadership, some form of hierarchy, and groups form that when they're getting ready to attack. Yeah, um, any, any information you can give us is helpful because the more we can evaluate our enemy, the more we can better oppose them. The other thing is, if Randy is right with what he saw, there's a potential chance that maybe they have some kind of disorganization among their leadership or a change of leadership or something. And if that's the case, that could give us a huge advantage because fighting a large group that are unorganized is much easier than fighting an organized group that know what they're doing, that know who's in charge. So any information you can get us on that while you're doing reconnaissance would be invaluable to our survival, pretty much. So anything you can give us, please relay it straight to me or Heath, and then he'll relay it to me. Donnell nods. Uh, nods as well and looks to Anthony and to Sherman. We'll station up high. So when we can see everything coming, I can keep people covered. Heath begins to circle the table again. Puck, you're responsible to make this library an absolute fortress. Already on it. I also want several other backup locations secured in case we are caught out or separated from the library or if the library falls. You'll also be in charge of coordinating a team of operatives to cut down all the pines that border the town. I'll help with that as necessary. They use the trees as cover as a way to sneak up on us. I want to, us to have a greater area of sight. Move the logs into piles in case we need to use them as bonfires as well. And I would prefer to be able to create some form of wall or boundary with them. But we need to create as much line of sight as we can. Next. Uh, once again, Alistair, he points again. After that, I want every conceivable attack and defense plan coordinated, detailed. And once again, I want this on my table by 10 a.m. I want every possible route or location the Wendigos might use as a way of attack considered and defense plan coordinated against it using tier operative formats. I want, I want both offensive and defensive. I want all team leaders informed, so under any situation. Everyone knows what to do. If you need advice or help, speak to myself or Darnell. Okay, uh, I'll work on that as soon as we've got the civilians out of here. We also need 
cameras set up around town. I want a view of most streets, especially around the library. Ernst puts his hand up and says, I have a guy who can do that type of stuff. Yes, actually, if we can link all of our cameras to Davo's computer, then he can relay info to me because I'm going to be too busy coordinating to be able to monitor everything. Uh, and also having a... He's still at the cabin, right, Ernest? Mm-hmm. I think he's still playing World of Warcraft. <laughs> of course he is. If our communications centre is decentralised from where everybody else is, I think that also gives us an advantage because he's not in the middle of a fight if that's what happens he's removed so I think if he can stay put and if we can wire all of our comms to him that's a good plan Heath nods and says I will leave that up to your discretion then I'll bounce from roll to roll as it's needed I'll also reach out to Warwick and he kind of taps his knuckles on the table the cousins as well the Wendigos are about to wage a war with us and we can't handle direct combat I won't risk it, so we need support. But today is about securing our position and not allowing a situation like last night to happen again, where we're so spread thin. And to do that, we need to understand our current weakness. The most pressing is the civilians and the possibility of a mole. We neutralize that problem the first thing in the morning, but there's something though. He starts to walk around the table again, Victory comes when you understand the enemy and yourself. We understand very little of them. That's what your job is, and he points to Darnell and Ernest. And our job, and he points at Alistair and Buck, is to understand everything we have going on here. That is the only way we can survive this. And also, I'd like all of you to sleep a little bit. That'd be good. That'd be uh, that'd be lovely, three hours oh, at yeah. least, just in between everything else we're doing. Yeah, just three three hours. Um, I can nap and strategize at the same time. Yeah, it's just fine. do little 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 cat naps. But I want you all to remember something. We are at a disadvantage physically. We are in a bad position. We have less people. But all warfare is based on deception. Therefore, when capable, feign incapacity. When active, inactivity. They don't know us. They don't know our firepower. They don't know our number. They don't know our strength. When near, make it appear that we're far. When far away, make it appear that we're near. Offer the enemy a bait to lure him feign disorder and strike them and most importantly of all with what Randy's told us pretend inferiority and encourage their arrogance Mm. that is the one way that we can survive here they are very sure of themselves and we can use that agreed okay go team Nice. Hoorah. Hoorah. (laughs) There it is. All right. We see a brief montage of movement as the different teams spread out. We see Puck directing 
small groups of tier operatives to increase barricades around the different entrances, exits, and weak points of the library. Uh, she's going as far as to check the density of roof tiles and things for their defensive capability to see if they could be smashed in or if um, there's any other way of shoring up the structure. Uh, we see people moving out in different directions as the citizens are woken, as they begin to be interviewed, as they're fed. We see Alistair poring over uh, the existing map and several different documents as he tries to piece together as many possible strategies and formulations of tactics as he can. Out in the town we see Ernest retrieving uh, the rest of his team, which really at this stage is just Davo. <laughs> we <laughs> the see, backbone. We see Davo's morning routine of uh, waking up a 10-minute Pilates session, shower, checking, checking his guild messages, lots of, lots skin of skincare, care. and an extra large uh, energy drink as he sits down at the computer again. <laughs> Just as he's about to like log on uh, log on to play World of Warcraft, Ernest kicks in the door. Damo, I don't care if you're like, raid leader or whatever. Come on, we gotta go. Uh, we see Sherman setting up shop in the the bell tower of the closed up church as an area from which he can see a great distance with his sniper rifle. Uh, we see Ant and Randy spreading out through the town, moving through street after street, uh, scoping out locations, sometimes moving up high as they can, getting onto um, the roof of cars to see further, these sort of things. As Ernest returns and Davo begins to set up camera systems uh, throughout the town and feeding them all back to the sunshine van that is now parked. <laughs> uh, will we say out the front or beside the library? Probably beside the library. Beside yeah. the library. We see uh, a small group of tier operatives spreading out on the borders of town, closely watched by Sherman in the tower. And this small team is armed with chainsaws donated by the local hardware store. And they're beginning to uh, fell the dead pines with heaths aid as well as pucks uh they begin to use heath's gravity powers to slow the fall of these trees to maneuver them into place to begin building uh piled barricades now you have all seen the speed and the agility of these creatures you know that a wall is not really going to stop them but the ability to create a clear barrier and a clear line of sight as well as the possibility of a bonfire uh, it certainly appeals to all of you. Ernest looks up. He's been helping out the front with some of the tree lopping as now that most of his other jobs are done and he hasn't seen Darnell for a while. He looks up from uh, the work of moving the trees and rubs a hand across his, his brow and notices like a flashing light of sunlight hitting glass, kind of catch him in the eye, and he follows the light over towards the bell tower of the local church and sees the small dot that is Sherman and heads over. All right. You find that the the door to the church uh, has been unlocked. The key's been found from one of the townspeople and Sherman has uh, climbed the very narrow winding stairs up to the bell tower. And this is an, an old school church uh, where the bell tower was originally 
a, a brick structure separate to the actual church building because at the time it was quicker and easier to do that and then had been included as part of the church structure in later renovations. Uh, the the space at the top of these winding stairs is quite cramped and small. Sherman has set himself up here. And as you get to the top, uh, you can see that he can see clear across the entire town from here. The church is on the left-hand side outskirts of the town. He can see the full winding road right the way down into the valley below and out of the mountain range. Uh, and he can see pretty much uninterrupted most of the town. Ernest looks down from the, the top of the tower down to the ground and he says, John, you know, this is probably a, a better spot than I think you might realise. How so? Well, in the old legends, the only way to actually kill the Wendigo was to cut out its heart, put it in a small silver box and bury it in a church graveyard. Holy ground. I mm. don't like it. At least their hearts don't. <laughs> well, I guess we'll find out. I mean... Gosh, I hope we're killing them. I've yet to... I mean, I guess Heath did cut one of their heads off. That seemed to do the trick. Uh, this is going to look up. Do I see Darnell flying around? Uh, you do not. I don't? Okay. Uh, whether you had seen or not, uh, you would assume that Dunnell is probably back in uh, mountain lion form or another covering ground, uh, staying low this time. Now that he's revealed his bird shape to the Wendigos, uh, they may be much warier of coming out into the open. So are you planning to stay here or what? This is just to look around? Till you need me somewhere else. I mean... Look, I'm not a, a soldier. I've got no real experience with this sort of stuff. I have a fair bit of uh, hunting experience. And in this sort of situation, I feel like it's good to be able to cover everyone's backs. From here, I can see just about everyone out in the town. So if something jumps out of the woods, I can see it and at least get a shot off first and radio in at the exact location. So... Until you need me somewhere else, I think I'll hang out here. Well, I guess that's kind of the situation. He kind of circles around the the, uh, the tower looking out. They're like nothing else in the Lycanthropy family. We don't know anything about them, really. Do we know anything about any of these animals, Ernest, really? I mean, you say a Lycanthropy family. I'm... Look... I'm not saying that tear is, you know, nonsense or, or fake or anything like that, but I think they project a lot more confidence and knowledge than they really have. I mean, they're just using terminology. If these things... Well, look, it doesn't really matter. Well, it's all born from mythology... I don't remember the exact story, but I think it was the f the lion family or something like that was cursed by Zeus or something for trying to feed him human remains. He cursed them and turned them into wolves. The lion family. I'm not sure. The lycanth that that name lycanthropy is, is oh. the name of the family oh, or something. Okay. 
And then the druids taught them how to change their shape from one to the other. Well, I mean, I think you're wrong in one respect. I think the myths come from somewhere, not that all our knowledge comes from the myths. The myths come to explain. I suppose so. They're not really... I I mean, how, how do you explain if you're a peasant in the medieval ages and your entire village gets decimated by a big wolf? How do you explain that other than that it's a cursed human who's such an awful person he's been cursed by the gods? I mean, look, if I hadn't seen a lot of the stuff I have seen, I reckon I'd probably tell you that it's, you know, some Freudian wishful thinking you create the monster you want to see because it's easier than dealing with the truth or whatever I don't know I'd never read I don't know what Freud's really about but anyway some Faustian bargain that's not what I said no you said Freudian but what what does Faustian mean um well I've only ever heard that that term a Faustian bargain I think it just means a deal with the devil we return to Alistair um, Alistair make a, a quick just roll for me roll for me and add two. <laughs> oh no what's <laughs> gonna happen okay it fell on the floor nine alright you are still awake uh, several coffees. Yes. In. Actually, no. He said that he didn't uh, like coffee. No. What would he take instead? Uh those fizzy feel-good things. Baraka. Baraka. <laughs> <laughs> Alistair. Uh, Alistair is so. Uh, well, he doesn't drink coffee. He doesn't drink any energy drinks. So he's like just completely used to operating with no sleep. So it's not like he's just he just pushes through it. Heath walks in and like claps you on the shoulder, seeing you doing all this. Like ah, yep, building up your tolerance, good. Yeah, yeah, you know how it is. You'll be like me soon. Start, and he just like drinks Great. like a full bottle. Just what I've always water. wanted, Dad. Chugging. What? What? What's the tone? I, I, you know, I'm quite proud of how long I can stay up. Puck uh, <laughs> moves in. Mm-hmm. Puck has been taking charge of the interviewing process uh, now that she's finished the. Or finish directing people in terms of repairs and barricade type stuff. Uh, and she she leans over Alice's shoulder to have a look at the map and the plans that he's drawing up. Yeah, this looks pretty promising. Yeah, so here's what I've got so far. As you said before, Heath, we are completely outnumbered, at least we can assume we're outnumbered from what the glimpses we've seen. We're also outclassed in our fighting because they have inhuman skills. They're faster than us. They're stronger than us. They can see in the dark. They can take human forms. So we can't hope to beat them or kill them all in a straight in a straight battle. We, we're just we're bound to lose. Uh, but. We do have two advantages. The first being, like I said before, if Randy is right, and hopefully we can get some more intel on this, 
if they are going through some kind of leadership change or some kind of uh, dissent in, in how they're being led, especially if it's a large group, that means they're unorganized and it means if they don't have a central command and a, a single vision for what they're doing, they're going to be sporadic. They're not going to work together. They're not going to use their numbers effectively. And we have organization. We have a team. We have a hierarchy. So we can use that against them. The other thing... Uh, yeah. We also have to take in the fact that they do not work together. You have to take into effect the creature's nature. Have you, have you ever heard the story of the frog and the scorpion? I feel like I have somewhere. Everyone's heard at some point. So the scorpion comes up to the frog and says, can I stand on your back and you can carry me across the river? And the frog says, no, I'm not stupid. You'll just sting me. And the scorpion says, why would I do that? Then we both drown. So the scorpion gets on the back of the frog and they begin to paddle out. And halfway through, the scorpion stings the frog. And the frog says, why would you do that? Now we're both going to die. And the scorpion says... It's my nature. You have to take into account the nature of what you're dealing with. So they will not... The fact they are trying to establish leadership shows they are very desperate and very intent on whatever they're doing because they do not operate like that. And it's going to be a long time before they're operating in a decent manner collectively. So that's that's definitely the weakness that we can target. Exactly. And that gives us an advantage. And the other thing we have on our side is we have weapons, we have supplies, we have a whole town full of supplies to support, what, 15, 20 people? And we are patient. So here's what I'm thinking. You're both familiar of the tactics that they used to use to siege castles, right? They would surround the city, starve out the occupants, and then when they either surrendered because they were starving or they all died that's when they would slowly build up some kind of attacking force and they would take the city. What I propose we do is a reverse siege thingy. I don't know. I don't have a cool name for it. I've been working on this for an hour and a half. The Wendigos are going to fall back on their, exactly as you said, their default instinct. They're going to attack. They're going to be mad. They're not going to think through their attacking plans. They're just going to go for us. If we can hold out and keep them occupied while holding our ground for long enough, my hope is eventually they'll decide that trying to take the town is not worth their while and we're going to be too much trouble for them and they'll move on. Because at the moment, we don't have the people or the resources to wage war with them. We just can't do that. We don't have backup at the moment. So our best bet is to use what we have, hold out, and annoy them. Basically, just wait them out. Then, if we get backup, we move into phase two, which is we start poking their defenses if they still haven't moved on by that point we start we go in in teams of you know small teams once we have some more backup to defend the town 
We go in in small teams, we start picking at them from the edges. Again, it's not going to do much damage, but it's going to annoy them and it's going to put pressure on them to continue to fall back into their nature and make silly mistakes and not use their advantages against us effectively. Now, that's based on one thing, and that's getting back up. Heath, do you have any estimates on when Warwick and when the cousins might be able to get here? How many days are we looking? We might get Warwick sooner, but the cousins will take time. Sure. Now, that's assuming they don't mount a full-scale siege assault in that time. If they do... From what I've seen, I don't think we have a chance of defending the town against all of them at once. We just don't have the manpower. Maybe if we had Warwick and we had the cousins, we could we could do it. But on our own, if they mount a full sale assault, we can't we can't weather that. So then we go to the final the final plan, the last ditch effort. Ernest, you are standing out under the morning sky. It's quite cold and clear now. The clouds have moved on from the previous night. The mist and fog have lifted, and it's a quite crisp, cold day. Uh, You're keeping an eye on some of the logging and felling that's going on by the tier operatives when your radio at your belt crackles. Ernest, come in, Ernest. Yep, hello. Uh, right, Sh- this is Sherman here. I've just noticed some movement down on the right-hand side of town. Right-hand side of town. He's kind of like <laughs> using his arms. No, not far from the the pub, the lodge. Last time where everything went south on us. Not far from there. Yeah. Okay. Bit further down. It doesn't look like Wendigos, though. It looks. I didn't see much, just some movement. I saw what looked like maybe two people. people. Hard to tell. Well, that's my thought. They could just be in human form or it could be civilians we haven't found yet. So I think best to check it out. Do you okay. want me to come with you? No, just keep an eye on me. All right. Uh, as I starts walking, he's going to click his radio uh, a few channels long. Darnell, we've got movement near the lodge. Uh, you hear crackling through and then you hear a uh, the whine of a cat okay I'll take that as you've heard it he clicks it off alright alright you make your way uh, down the main street till you can see the surveyor's lodge this is the pub uh, that you passed the night before as things began to go south and just before Randy was taken uh, as you continue on past the pub you can see there's a few more houses this way only maybe three or four and there's a lot more trees around here and as you keep moving you do see a flicker of movement here you see um movement that is definitely human you see pale skin uh, as someone slips behind a tree they're not far from you maybe 50 meters Ernest climbs over the beginnings of the the log barricade and 
walks out a few steps. Hello? Are you, uh... You know, like, searches my, like, what's an excuse? Uh, do you live here? He, like, gestures at the lodge. Make a... Make a check for me. Nine. Um... Okay, you you see uh, a man step out from behind the tree very awkwardly, like he's been caught and he's standing very sort of stiffly. Um, he, he, like, reaches out an arm to lean on the tree next to him, like, touches the tree, is going to lean, doesn't, uses his elbow, slips a little bit and kind of just puts his hands on his hips and goes, Hello... Hi. Hi, yeah. Make a quick perception check. Five. Uh, <laughs> seems like a nice guy. Yeah, this seems like a perfectly plausible human being. Hey. Hey, man. You all right? I'm good, yes. How yeah. are you? Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, big morning or big night. Yes, he's taking like small incremental steps towards you. This <laughs> is like, when will Ernest learn not to go running off on his own? <laughs> Ernest like gestures at the log, at like, the log. He's like, oh yeah, me and my buddies, you know, just been out here deforesting. I see that. Why are you doing that? Do we need a reason to deforest? We're humans. We hate forests. <laughs> Let me make a roll. <laughs> We're humans, unlike All you. Right, two, because he, you sort of see him frown and go. No, I guess that. I guess that's that's true. We've been mm, doing I it for ages. I hadn't thought about it like that. That does make sense for humans. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see if Ernest notices that. Five. Yeah, it is normal for us. Yeah. Uh-huh, he's taking more steps towards you. He's, like, closing the game. He's maybe, like, 20 metres now. Ernst is, like, starting to notice this a little bit. It's like, you want to come back to town, man? You have some breakfast? Uh, yes. This sounds good, yes. Normal breakfast. Uh-huh. And he's going to start walking, like, normally towards you rather than little incremental steps. <laughs> this is taking the same amount of steps, like, backwards as he's taking forwards. And it's like, <laughs> yes, let, let's... Make a, make a dexterity check for me. An easy one. Eight. All right. Uh, you trip a couple of times that sort of keep your momentum going. You don't fall um, because you're, like, walking backwards and you're, like, clambering backwards over the barricade. Um... <laughs> All right. Yeah. Is there any kind of suspicion going on in Ernest? Yes, he's Wendigo. <laughs> Mine. <laughs> All right. Yes, human breakfast for human people. <laughs> nom, 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 nom. Um, you hear a whistle, like, sharp uh, from the woods behind this guy, and he stops in his tracks. Um... And you see another figure deeper in the woods, like, shaking his head. As like, hey, you want to bring your friends in? Like, we, um, we've got lots of food. Make another perception check for me. <laughs> this one with advantage, I reckon, because Ernest's... Yeah, make it, make it this one with advantage. Another eight. All right. 
Uh, as soon as the whistle comes, this guy kind of like jumps. He lowers his shoulders and he looks like he's being caught doing something he shouldn't be. And I was like, listen, guys, <laughs> you don't need to fight. We've got lots of food. It's okay. You can kind of see, you can you can see that thing that happens when people are panicked. Like the, the stance goes down a little bit. His arms kind of raise a little by his sides. Uh, his eyes kind of get bigger. The pupils uh, become smaller. And he's sort of like, a little bit bead of sweat running down, <laughs> so just like turns around to look at the woods. As you look, Ernest, um, the figure that had whistled and sort of gestured steps a little closer, a little out of the shade, and take. I'm gonna say a D8 of stress. It's gonna be like Ooh. all cut up or something. It's gonna be gross. Just four. Just four. Um you see a build that is unfamiliar. Uh, it's tall and lanky, uh, thin and unwell. You see a young man with a mane of tangled, sandy curls that are, are matted. You see a, a face that's thin and waxy, but still familiar, still recognizable. You see the thin wrists and neck. You see the bones kind of uh, very distinct in the collar. The the smile from Ernest's face kind of dies away. He he knew who he was interacting with, but he was still kind of enjoying the kind of humanity of it and all that, and just kind of fades away a little bit as he stares at this like ragged figure. And he gestures towards the town and is like we're all back here it's, it's safe in here uh, you can see that the, the this guy that's sort of in no man's land between you two is sort of looking back and forth and um, it, this sort of reminds you even though it only strikes you dully um, after the shock of what you've just seen. That's sort of like a dog who has been chasing something and is being called back and he doesn't... He wants to keep chasing. Um, and he sort of begins to, you know, sheepishly step backwards and then he builds a little momentum and then he turns his back on you and continues moving into the forest. Um, he passes by the thin, unwell-looking figure with the mane of sandy hair who sort of snaps at him as he goes past. And this figure returns their eyes to you and then slips back into the trees. Ernest folds his hands and then unfolds them and like spreads the fingers, still looking to where the, the figure disappeared. He looks around himself a little bit and then adjusts his jacket, feeling a prickle still running up the scars on his back. He, like, bangs on the side of his head with his palm a few times and blinks a couple of times and says, You're losing it, Ernest. That's not... That's not... We're past this. Calm down. Ernest, as you start turning and heading back towards the town, your radio 
uh, crackles and comes to life. Hey, Ernest, you there? Uh, yep. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I've been doing a bunch of strategizing, I guess, because, you know, that's my job now. Mm. Um, we've got our defensive plans pretty well laid out, but we need to know more about them to know how we can counter them. Specifically, we need to know if they're operating as a pack or if there's somebody in charge or if it's a group of them that's in charge. We need we need to know what the structure of their group is because Heath wants to try and start poking at them and humiliating them, essentially, to try and bait them into attacking us because he wants them to stay here and not move on. Which I'm not 100% sure if I think that's a good idea, but either way, we need to find out more. So, do you think you and Randy and your other Watchmen friends, do you think there'd be a way you could get us some more information? Ernest pauses, still looking off between the trees. Yep. I can think of a few ways to get some information. Okay, well, maybe if you want to confer with your people and then tell me what you're doing this time, please. Yep, talk later. And he switches it to another channel. Okay, bye. Well, he he disconnected. Okay. A little time passes. You assemble your team at the burnt tree. Uh, so you have Sherman, Randy, and Darnell. Uh, Ernest walks up with Darnell to the rest of the group and claps his fingers together. It's like, all right, so, uh, plan. We're going to catch one. Okay. Uh. There are ones hanging out around. They're in human form. Well, that does make sense. A little less uh, conspicuous, I suppose. You Here's think the they're scoping us out too? Yep. Here's a thought. Can they heal? Surely. And Ernest turns to Darnell. Most things in the lycanthropy family do have pretty advanced healing abilities. How long does it take to heal? My guess is unless we... Probably only hours. Anything that we didn't kill would have healed by now, I think. No, more of a thought of if we put a bullet in both knees, it'll be all right. Yep, yeah, it won't be pleasant, but it'll keep it from running, I guess. Especially if it's in human form. I reckon if we shoot them in the kneecaps, you know, go for the kneecaps, that's always a good plan. And then we just tie their hands out, like crucifix style away form. from them. They can't run. They can't yeah. pull their human face or whatever it is. Okay, well, we got to go quick while they're still out. Yes, Randy. Yes. Uh, one question, Ernest. H- how... How, 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 like, I know how we're going to keep hold of them once we got them, you know, kneecaps. How how are we going to get, like, are we going to, like, lure one out? I don't know if that's, what's, what's the play here? Tell me what the play is. What's the play, Ernest? He's like, his arms have come up into fists at this point. He's like, from the stuff that Heath was saying, they have a very strong, uh, uh nature. They don't work together. So if they just see some 
one person walking around and he like flicks the collar, his collar of his jacket in a very bright coat. They're not going to go tell their buddies to share the kill. We can attract one. I reckon that's worth a go. Okay, uh, but how do we how do we ensure we only that only one of them sees us? I've got a plan for that. Uh, sometime later, Ernest, you are hiking at a leisurely pace through the woods not far outside of town. You've sort of travelled a little bit up towards the, the cabin that you've since used as your base. Uh, you have sent Sherman on ahead of time. He is out further ahead of you, somewhere higher up. You are trying to make yourself quite visible. Um, you see wheeling very, very high above you, the small dark figure of a bird high up. Okay. Uh, you've been out here for maybe 20 minutes. Uh, make a perception check for me. Two. Two. Uh, hard to tell if it's working, honestly. You feel like you're kind of just wandering around in the woods now. You were kind of hoping it would be faster than this. Uh, you stop in a small clearing uh, where there's a, a felled tree and you kind of sit down on the log to take a bit of a breather. You have some water from your canteen. Uh, is there anything you want to do while you're taking a quick break? Ernest is going to pause for a second. He's going to pull out his radio and he's going to switch it on to Puck's signal. And he's going to talk to it. Puck? Mm, yep, you got me. Hey, it's Ernest. So we're uh, currently doing something here. Oh, why did I like the sound of that? No, you probably shouldn't. Um, could you and maybe a friend... Just pop over real quick to the... He's trying to work out a way of saying this that isn't, like, suspicious to anything listening. The... Lodge? Why? Oh, just Randy's waiting around near there. Just thought you guys should have a chat. Uh, no offence, but Randy... Randy would really like to me chat. Out a little bit. No, I don't want. To, I don't think I want to chat to Randy. Randy, Randy would. Randy would. Look, if, Puck. Look, I can go talk to him if it's like a Puck. Do your job. Look after people. Protect things. It is. If it's it a is. social. No, it's not a hey, social I think thing. You and Randy would really get along, and I'm not going to go because I don't want to. I'm not trying to set you up with Randy. Well, I don't know. I don't know you well enough, and you're. Being really vague. Also, you're Ernest's friend. Sorry. <laughs> also, you're Alistair's friend, and Alistair does dumb stuff like that a lot. I'm. T it's a professional meeting. And you just, you know, you just hear from in the background. <laughs> I do not. Alistair, you don't even know. She like like way like, off in the background. And Ernest, you can hear. Alistair, you don't even know what I'm saying. You can't even hear this side of the conversation. Doesn't matter. You're talking about It's me not lies. It's you don't. Lies. Whatever. You are. Get back to work. I'm busy. Nerd. Stop interrupting me. Fine, I'll go check on Randy. Thank you. Because I, if I talk to uh, Alistair or Heath, I might get in trouble. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. All anyway. Right. Bye. He clicks it off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, make another perception check. All right. <laughs> 
Man, I wonder if the Wendigos will figure out your None. plan from that. No. Wow. <laughs> you switch off the radio, you raise your head, and uh, you convincingly don't jump when you see a figure standing directly in front of you about 20 metres away into the trees. Hello, fellow hiker. Uh, you see this the same guy as before. Oh, hey, buddy. You still hungry? He, he approaches sheepishly through the woods and he's like scratching his arm. I hope you didn't get in trouble for before. <laughs> Is your friend still around? Um, uh, he... He... There's just a look in his eye and in the grin of his face that tells you no one's gonna pull him up this time. Well, if he's not around, you want you want to talk about that breakfast? Uh, yes, yes, I do. Breakfast is good. Breakfast is good. It's the most important meal of the day, except that was a marketing campaign by Kellogg's. It's very important though. Uh huh. Yeah. He, he's like. Stepping towards you, you can see that he's kind of like flexing his fingers a little bit in his in both hands as he sort of steps into the clearing with you. And starts opening his pack, and he's like, "Well, I got some uh, some muesli bars. Ooh, yoga chip." You can see his eyes are like seeming to like sink deeper into his head, and his mouth is like slightly permanently open as he's like getting closer and closer. Make another one more quick perception check for me. Another nine. All right. Uh, it happens too fast for you to see it, but with a natural twelve from directly behind this guy, just a hand reaches out, grabs him by the face, and pulls him uh, forcefully backwards, just like by the head, flings him back into the trees. You hear him hit a tree, roll and stumble, curse um, and grunt. And standing before you is this same disturbingly familiar figure that so unnerved you earlier. Ernest's jaw clenches a little bit as he looks at him and then gets up, like putting the muesli bar down. Points out, like, now that's very mean. Um, you see this figure is he's staring you dead on there's none of the uh, Pavlov's dog kind of drooling and cringing that was going on with this other guy there's none of the the sidestepping or the cozying or the feign at uh, normality that this other guy was trying to do he's just staring you dead in the face with a cold blank expression Ernest stares back at him for a second and starts me. they're taking a long time to take this shot and smiles at him and says Man Mum and Dad are going to be confused uh, He lunges forwards at you That 12 Alright, you can almost sense it coming you see like a twitch in the knees as he springs forward 
Uh, you can actually see that one hand is going to his face. The other hand is reaching out for you. You who are sitting, you still you stood, stood up. up. You basically hop back onto the log and then jump as this thing dives forwards for you and you like jump over him and roll to the ground behind him. You hear a distant whoosh and the sound of something impacting meat and then the crack as something impacts wood. You can see that one shot has uh, rung out, taking him through the upper thigh and down into the wood of this log and then a second crack and this one does take him in the knee. Okay, Ernest is going to wheel around and he is going to try to basically grab the back of Edgar's head and he's going to try and do something different. He's going to not go into Edgar's mind, but he's going to try and put Edgar into his own mind. So basically, in a way, knock him out. Uh, So that's a six plus three, so nine. Okay, that's a success. You initiate this, and uh, (laughs) similar to when you tried to enter Wilbur's mind to fight Mother, you feel that you begin the sensation of falling and then something grabs you and tears you in uh, and you feel that it fights you the entire time. And when in Alistair's head you were standing on almost like a mirror smooth uh, lake, only a few millimeters deep and then some dark surface beneath you fall into a rolling tossing sea of uh, fetid water Mm. you drop down and you're immediately swamped by a wave and then as you begin to try and wrestle your way to your feet you're swamped from behind by a different wave from another direction and you struggle to gain your feet in this situation Uh, You can see that this subconscious is in perpetual tossing motion, almost at war with itself. Mm. Uh, And you notice that where it's in Alistair's mind, uh, and in Wilbur's too even, the water had been clear and unremarkable. It had been almost, so to speak, metaphorical. Uh, This is bad water there's things floating in it there seems to be discoloration to the water uh, a yellowed foam forming from all of the crashing turbulence and you find yourself standing not in front of the the lean sandy haired man that you had grabbed but in front of a wendigo Uh, in the water you smell rust iron this metallic smell that reminds you of the taste of blood. So I'm standing in front of it, but I'm being hit by waves. You are being kind of swamped on all sides by waves and making it hard to stand. They're sort of hitting into the back of your legs, um, sometimes slapping up even to your chest. Oh, okay, right. With a 13, Ernest grips his fingers deeper and he shouts out, Enough! All right, with a four... It is a wrestle, it is a fight almost of willpower as Ernest's consciousness tries to dominate and to calm, to suppress the raging turmoil inside this subconscious. It takes a little time, it takes a great deal of effort, 
but little by little you suppress the waves, you push them down. You cannot quite extinguish them altogether. They still lap and toss. Uh, Small whirlpools form and disband, uh, but the water now is much stabler. This lanky figure of the Wendigo with its long, long legs, its emaciated skeletal chest and arms, its claws, its deer's head and antlers, it stands before you in the water. Ernest, still holding one hand out, clenching it like he's holding onto Edgar's neck, he reaches his other hand out and pointing but also holding his palm up towards the Wendigo, says... What are you? It turns its head on the side, the better to look at you through one eye. The jaw creaks open and you hear the hiss of the inhuman voice say, What a question to ask. You are inside my head. What are you that you do this? Ernest turns the hand over and closes the, the palm and points at Something you should be very afraid of if you're using my brother's face. I am not using anything I simply am. Whatever this vessel once was, it no longer is. I am all there is. That's what a parasite always says. I am not a parasite. You are a parasite. You are invading force, taking over someone else's form. You are the definition. No. Parasites are that which take and do not give. Parasites are that which are too weak to take by force. They take by proxy. I take by force. I am not a parasite. I am a predator. You are a withering man. This thing, and he points at like the whole body. This is not strength. This is something that's giving you strength. That's not your strength. Just because an athlete takes steroids doesn't make them strong. It makes them a cheater. Get out of my head. It's not your head. Right, it's going to lunge for you and it's going to try and take back control. Am I using my plus three for this, that power? You have a proficiency. The creature itself sort of lunges for you and the waves begin to rise again and toss and crash. As it lunges, Ernst is going to stamp his foot down and a a little shockwave runs out from the water, stilling it all in the, the kind of perimeter around them. It's taken aback as it sort of reaches for you, but it seems like it is as much affected by what happens to the waves as the waves themselves. You have no dominion here. This is not your world. This is my world. This is my mind, my body. Then where's your power here? Why do you have power here? I don't know, man. Just who I am. What do you want? 
Ernest pauses for a second and kind of decides he doesn't want to give too much. And he smiles and squeezes his hands tight and says, I want to see you sweat. So, you guys are trying to form a bit of a group, get together to survive whatever this is going on. The tide rises. Yes, yes, I've heard, I've heard that a few times. I've heard, I've, I've heard quite a bit actually. I'm quite proficient at hearing that. Wherever I go, it's just there. <laughs> That's really good. Tide rising, tide rising. What does that mean? Why are you organizing? You're not pack animals. You run around in the dark so people can write scary songs about you. Your myths. You're a curse. Why are you forming a giant pack? We are creatures of strength. We only value strength. And while we do not like to hunt in packs, there is strength in numbers. And for what is coming, only strength in numbers will prevail. Doesn't that undermine your whole strength, power, all that type of stuff if you have to be in a group to do that? Everyone's stronger together. Yes. We are not exempt from nature. We are nature. We are the soul of natural competition. It's you who think you're above nature, separate from your environment. That's why you destroy it. You burn it. I have spent two years walking in a cosmic desert. Nature is just a series of laws contained to this very small area of reality. It is all we have. Then you're putting yourself in a box. It is all we are allowed. Not all can leave as they wish. Some are damned here. And you guys sound like just such a fun bunch. There's, There's nothing, nothing to do with fun. Yeah, uh, it's... It is survival. Yes, yes, there yes. There is nothing else. Didn't mean it as fun as in like, hey, yeah, it's my book club. Do you have any memories? Other than what you've been brainwashed to think? You say power again. <laughs> Nothing is worth retaining that does not enable us. Nothing that does not give us power. Then what are you being powerful for? to survive, but you're not living for anything. Then there's nothing to be powerful for. Just die. If that's what you want, if if it's just about, if you're not retaining anything, if there's nothing there, if you're just a husk, then there's no point to be powerful for that. Powerful for the sake of surviving? Yes. If you don't know what it means, to strive until every bone breaks simply to survive, then you've never really been in danger. Edgar, you grew up on a farm fixing fences with Grandad. When have you ever broken every bone in your body to survive? 
If you have, then that's being within your realm of I need power to survive. We grew up watching Looney Tunes. And we survived. You cling to these memories like they matter. Because they're real. They're not. Nothing is real once it's past, it's gone. No memory is real, it's just the mind hanging on to something it doesn't need. Does fixing fences and cartoons help you now? Or does it just convince you that everything's okay? Does it just let you stay in your little bubble? Wait, you're the one talking about a bubble? You're yes. in a box! A box of power, a box of your little ideas about how to survive because anything outside of that is just too much. It's all, it's all outside of my little world. You run around in packs with your own little buddies. You run in packs with your friends in yellow. And they are completely different to me. Every single one of them I chose because they are completely different to me. They will do everything that I cannot do. They make up for every flaw that I have. To survive, Ernest. To save. Why would you pick them if they were not useful? You say you pick them to fill flaws. That's survival. That's planning for survival. It's planning for success. That's the same thing. No, it's not. <laughs> Make a perception check. <laughs> <laughs> Eleven. Eleven. Uh, the, the the Wendigo, as is like saying, that's the same thing. It's like gesturing with both hands, like from its forehead at you, like, ugh. And it's like stamps its right foot at the same time. From and like, you, you literally endless. have just a forcible flashback to your brother trying to teach you how to play cricket. And you, and you just like with... Um, with the bat and you keep missing it and he's like making exactly that gesture and stepping to going Ernest you just what watch the ball Ernest <laughs> <laughs> it so powerfully reminds you of that moment of that tick of your brothers Ernest sees him doing this and is kind of whisked away for a second and then he grits his teeth noticing how angry he is and asks again why are you all meeting Gosh, I, I don't, don't know, know Ernest. Ernest. Why, Why does anyone meet so you organise things? You and your friends, you run around willy-nilly and you get picked off. That's what happens. If you're not organised, you get picked off. If we're not organised, we won't survive. When the tide is rising, when everything's going to drown, if you don't have a plan, if there isn't someone calling the shots, not gonna happen. Uh, no, it's for saying, it's like, yeah, going out in the forest alone, that's that's a dumb idea. Hey, let's go. <laughs> you can see there's like, like the, the antlers like rear up as if he's about to like yell something at you, <laughs> but then it's gone. Uh, you, I rolled for this. You open your eyes and the first thing you see is Randy with his arm around its throat. His right <laughs> arm around its throat and his left arm holding a gun to its, like, deer temple. He's like, I gotcha! You can see that its leg is, like, kicking its sleeve. 
as it's like struggling to come back yeah. to consciousness, you can see that it's like it's like still wounded, it's like jerking as if it's still stamping in frustration. Brady is like holding it in a chokehold. All right, um, it's going to make it a roll to wake up first and then to break free. Uh, all right, it gets a an eleven. So he reaches around Randy and pulls away Randy's like second pistol, throws it to his second hand and shoots it in the other knee. All right, yeah, as it was like <laughs> using its one slightly less wounded leg, the one that went through the upper thigh, to push itself up and kind of lurching you shoot it again and it drops and that would be about the same point that you see puck with a crowbar winding up puck nope that uh, uh hostage you know she's like at the at the very top of the swing about to pull down she's like it's moving i don't think you want it to move well i don't want it dead puck that's not gonna kill it and she swings <laughs> Uh, yeah, she hits it, like, <laughs> right in the top of the head. Smack. Uh, it does grunt and pass So is out. it in full Wendigo form, or...? Um, yeah, no, it's, it transform was transforming as it oh. went for you. Uh, nice. And this is going to wheel around. Where's the second one? Um, okay, well, let me actually make a quick check. All right. The second one is nowhere to be seen because once it got thrown back and saw... Uh, its companion going in for the kill and then it shot and then you taking it down and then Randy and Puck and Ant turning up. I was like, I'm, I'm going to get out of here. Uh, it, it ran for it. Okay, Randy, uh, Ernst is going to... Randy oh, would have Randy uh, like taken several it shots at it and it's like, going, nah, that's too many for me on my own. Yeah. Um, yep. Ernst is going to, to whistle for Darnell. Okay. Uh, you see very quickly... The, um, the beating of powerful wings as this large bird. It's a bigger than a vulture. Its wingspan is very, very impressive. It's almost two meter wingspan um, as this large bird of prey lands. Uh, Ernst looks in. <laughs> is it bad if he gets back to their side and tells them? Can we take him out before he gets there? Uh, the bird sort of cocks its head to one side and then looks in that direction and then takes off flying. Okay, this is going to pull up his radio and flicking out. So, Sherman, we've got a runner. Okay. Northeast. And he's going to, uh, is going to take off for the run. I don't want And he's going to yell back. He's like, Randy, Puck, get back to the library. Randy has both his hands on its antlers <laughs> and he's dragging it by the antlers. <laughs> ah, God, why are you... Bastard. Come on. <laughs> Puck yeah. is pulling um, handcuffs from the tattoos on the, the underside of her bicep um, and is handcuffing its arms and legs together behind its back. Sometime later, in the dark, cool basement of the library, amidst the mouldy stacks of files, newspapers, country support magazines and other things, we find... Edgar Marsh uh, chained and handcuffed to a very stout pole in the basement. I will actually say it's one of like the the like uh, floor joists, like the support beams for the floor. He's in human form now uh, after being knocked unconscious. He did transition back. Uh, he is cuffed, sitting cross-legged on the ground, both legs and arms tied to the 
beam behind him, there is a single naked light bulb overhead, and Alistair and Heath are standing over him. Heath looks at you, says, Wake him up. Gladly. Alistair, like, kicks him in the head. Like, not not hard, but, <laughs> like, kind of on his jaw. Heath pauses for a second. I was like, The bucket of water, Alistair. Does he wake up? <laughs> I assume he wakes up anyway. <laughs> uh, at 11, yeah. he was, like, coming around and you kick him in the face. His head, like, hits the, the pole behind him. He like, begins to drowse again. Uh, Heath taps the light bulb and starts swinging back and forth, casting shadows on the two of them as he squats down like inches away from the Wendigo and smiles and says, So I hear you think you're pretty strong. 